All right, guys. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Dad Presents. I mean, it's July 4th weekend. The sun is shining. The girls are out in their sundresses. And it's a three-day weekend. Is there anything better than that? I'm sure a lot of you are probably just staying indoors, cowering in fear and locking yourselves up because of this new Delta variant. (sighs) So dumb. Hope you guys are celebrating. I certainly am. To show my enthusiasm for the weekend's festivities, my buddy gave me a mullet. And we dyed it red, white, and blue. And it fucking rocks. And I'm not even kidding you. There will be pictures up by tomorrow on Facebook.com slash Presents. And my wife says, why would you ever do that? And I said, babe, I'm, I'm just tired of being objectified by, by these women and men. They just look at me like a piece of meat. And it's just degrading. And I want people to like me for me. And this is me. So that's how that went down. Um, anyway, guys, so please follow the show. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, click follow. Please smash that like button, like the kids say. Um, we're launching on YouTube. It's going to be under Super Bad Dad. I've, I've held out on YouTube forever uh, just because I'm lazy. Um, and now that I've held out so long, I, we could not get the dad presents. So we got super bad dad. So check it out. We're going to have uh, today's interview up there probably by tomorrow. Check out our website, thedadanswers.com, where we take on parenting questions only and, and look at things from a parenting angle because I know some of you get frustrated with the politics here, but hey, it is what it is. You can also contact us at thedadpresents.com or by email at matt at thedadpresents. This podcast is sponsored by the Expat Money Show, where you get the best travel advice on the internet. Sheathunderwear.com. It's the sleekest, sexiest underwear on the planet. Uh, use code word DAD for 20% off. And finally, our newest, our newest sponsor, Project Serenity Newsletter from Marco Wutzer, who is today's guest. He's the best crypto advisor out there. He's made himself into a mega millionaire. Um, and you can get his newsletter by going to thedadpresents.com slash newsletter. So if you like this show, please support our sponsors. It helps. And if you don't like the show, then what kind of loser are you spending your holiday weekend listening to a show you don't even like? Um, so what's up, guys? What, what do you have planned? You got the barbecue. You got the in-laws coming over. What? Tell you about the wife and I. We um, we have uh, plans with friends for a birthday celebration. Then we have uh, people coming over tomorrow to watch the fireworks. Um, it's going to be great this week. Let me ask you guys. Has your child ever walked in on you while you're doing it? I, I'm sure it happens. And it, it finally happened to us this week. And I'm just wondering how you guys handle it because we didn't handle it well. And I thought I had my kid prepared. So, you know, we're doing our adult thing. And I think I kind of heard the door open. Um, but then I looked and and the door was closed. And, you know, we were just caught up in the moment. Obviously, the bride didn't hear anything because she was just just slayed with passion. You know, I, I mean, I was giving it to her, fellas. She she was She was out of it, like like barely conscious, just in, in a, in a world of ecstasy. So anyway, afterwards I go to get the dog. I'm going to walk the dog and I find Keller. He's 11. He's in his room and he's crying hysterically, like hysterical, like, you know, middle of the night. I just, I just saw a ghost type of crying and 
I'm trying to calm him down to hear what he's upset about. And all he keeps saying is, uh, mommy and daddy. And, he, and, he, and he's born, mommy and daddy. Mommy. And I thought he was crying because if you guys listen to the show, you know, mommy's been giving daddy the business for about a month. She's been a little irritated with him, kind of one thing after another. So I thought maybe he was upset with how, you know, the tension in the house and how we've been fighting. Um, but when he finally, when he finally calmed down, that wasn't it. He was just, he, he had walked in and he saw daddy, you know, smack it up, flip it and rubbing it down. And he went to his room and he started crying and it really messed him up. And I felt awful. Now I've been preparing him for this since he was four years old. Honestly, like I've, Every time he asks me a question about sexuality, I answer. When he is four, he asks where babies come from. And I explained in as simple terms as I could how daddy takes his, his pee-pee and puts it on mommy's pee-pee and it tickles and, and seeds come out and, and go inside mommy and find her egg and make a baby. And he understood that from a scientific point of view. And as he got older, he asked more questions. And, and I always broke it down for him honestly. And it never overwhelmed him, never freaked him out. He was always good with it. But he walked in and I guess I guess knowing reality and, and seeing daddy beating it up with mommy are just two different things. And wow, he was upset and, and it upset me to see him that upset. So, you know, we had to talk about it. Um, and the next day I asked if he was if he was doing better. And he said he was. He said he was all good. And then Kyrie, Kyrie's uh two and a half years younger, and he's just that dude's just a different animal. So he says, Well, well what was wrong with Keller? And I said, I'm like, Well, he saw something last night he didn't want to see because he wasn't minding his his own business. And Kyrie chuckled and he said, Boobies. <laughs> and I said, Well, you could you could say that. And he goes, Oh, snap, daddy. I know what's up. Brother got an eyeful, didn't he? And I just started laughing. I couldn't help it. And Keller got upset again. So, hey, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with here in Redondo Beach. But at least the bride and I are back on good terms, at least until she hears this episode, which 50-50 shot. Anyway, guys, Delta variant. Ooh, so scary. Are you guys scared? Um, you guys over this yet? So this week, you know, I, I, I took a walk. I walk every day. I walk two times a day when the bride is mad, sometimes three times a day. And I was listening to CNN on a walk and they, they start talking about the Delta variant, which comes from India, but we can't call it the Indian variant because, you know, racism. And they're telling me on my TV, CNN, these anchors, that it's both more contagious and more deadly. Now, all you need is a rudimentary understanding of virology to know that it's highly unlikely for a virus to evolve to be both more deadly and more contagious. It's almost always one or the other because viruses that evolve, to evolve, they need to not kill their host. If they kill their host, they can't evolve. They don't, they don't pass on their genetics. It's the same with like evolution with, with humans. Um, evolution happens when you have desirable traits to a female um, and she chooses to have babies with you, right? And that's why certain things have certain, certain traits have evolved over time because those traits are deemed 
valuable to life and desirable. So they they get it's called it's called selection, right? Genetic selection. Well, virus is the same thing. Like if if they have a, if a virus has a trait that makes it less likely to find a mate, i.e., killing its host, it does not pass on its genetics. So typically, very dangerous viruses kind of they come in hard and strong like like your buddy the dad and they burn out fast um over time if they evolve they almost always become less deadly i suppose that's not a hundred percent true but close to it and so you know i'm hearing this and i know this is just more bullshit from our government news station over at cnn and then you got fauci on there yapping about how now this one's more dangerous to children because We've all adopted and at this point took some longer to others to figure out that the disease is not that dangerous to children. So now they got to scare the children into getting vaccinations because kids don't, people don't want to vaccinate their children because why would they? This is not a danger to them. And the vaccine actually poses a little bit of a danger. So people are really taking their time with whether or not to vaccinate their children as they should take their time. So now they want to make it. You know, they got, they got vax. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to guess their, no, their motives. I don't know their motives, but I know there's vaccines all over the country not being used that will go bad soon. And that's worth billions, maybe trillions of dollars. So look, no, I'm not an expert. Yes, I do have a health degree. Yes, I've taken virology classes. Yes, there are definitely people far, 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 far more qualified than me. Yes, some of those people are on TV and you get their opinions on CNN. And yes, a lot of those people sold out and tell lies for the state. I won't lie to you. I will tell you what I know and and I'll be honest about what I know and my qualifications to say so. I'm not the most qualified, but I do know how viruses evolve. Um, it's not that complicated. Maybe this one is more dangerous and more transmissible. The data so far doesn't suggest it. And anyway, have you seen, there's a new study out now showing that masks are actually unhealthy for kids, right? So, so a group hooked some kids up to machines to measure their oxygen and CO2 levels in their blood when they're wearing masks. And after just a few hours in masks, and I'm very impressed with myself right now, I've said masks four times without messing it up. That's a tough word for my mouth. Anyway, they found that their CO2 levels in their blood were elevated beyond what has been determined as safe by unions and safety regulating boards for grown men and grown women working in extreme conditions. So our kids for the last year have been living under those extreme unsafe conditions for eight hours a day at school and to no worthwhile necessary ends because the disease was never a threat to them. More kids died in the last year from drowning. More kids died in the last year from the flu. Then they died from COVID. Yet, we still let kids swim. Yet, we don't force them to wear masks in flu season. Whatever, I just burped. Excuse me if you heard that. What else is going on? Um, January 6th, January 6th, just in the news every day. Also on my walk, they're talking about January 6th all day long. Worst thing that ever happened to America was January 6th. Look, January 6th, which was a bunch of tards, 
retards. I can say that word. Can't say the other one. Not going to put the re before it, but I can call them tards. They were tards. They rolled into the, the Capitol uh, wearing costumes like it's Burning Man, break into Nancy Pelosi's office, throw their feet up on the desk, take selfies like total tools. And now they're going to go to prison for a very long time because the state will not allow that. Was it a hostile attempt at a takeover at government? I mean, if it was, it was the most poorly planned one of all time. They had no weapons for one. No weapons. Number two, most of them were senior citizens. And now the first person tried and convicted was a grandma. That's right. Grandma Maybell tried and convicted for January 6th. And look, guys, now some right wing nut jobs might try to tell you that Grandma Maybell was not dangerous. They might try to tell you that she was old and her Alzheimer's was kicking up and she just got lost in the halls of the Capitol. But those people, they're liars. And now I'm whispering like Joe Biden does because that's how we do. This woman was hell-bent on overthrowing the United States military and she came damn close to doing so. So thank God for the power of the federal government Thank God for our nuclear arsenal and thank God for the criminal justice system for holding Grandma Maybell accountable for her actions. I I feel my kids can sleep safely tonight unless, of course, daddy starts giving mommy the business again. And given that we got a party to go to tonight, you know that that might just happen. The, the, The bride, when she has a couple drinks in her, loosens up a little bit and certain things that are off limits without the drinks come back on the table. Whoop, whoop. All right, guys, uh, let's talk a little more about our sponsors. We are sponsored by the expat money show hosted by Mikhail Thorpe. He puts out a new episode every week on Wednesday. These episodes are great. I honestly, Honest, guys, you know I don't tell lies. I've listened to at least 50% of his episodes. Going back into the archives from before the time that I discovered his show, it's that good. It's that interesting. As a, as a man who loves to travel, just good information. And as I mentioned to you, he has been hired by us as a, as a consult, 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 consultant, and you can do the same thing to help you expatriate from this country if you don't love the way things are going. And we have hired him and we are attempting to move the family to Panama, we're running into some snags. But uh, man, if, if you're looking to move out of the country, you cannot do it without Marco or, or I'm sorry, without Mikel or somebody just like him. Um, I, I can't imagine taking that on. And, and he's the best out there. His show is amazing. So interesting. Uh, love the guy. Check out the show. Check out the website, theexpatmoneyshow.com. Um, and I hope you love it as much as we do. And now we will get into it with our guest, Marco. What's sir? Crypto million gazillionaire. All right, guys. Okay, guys. Thank you for joining today with us today. We have Marco Woodser, 
He's a crypto expert. He's he's made millions. He's doing it right. He has a newsletter and a crypto course to help people succeed as he has, which he's going to tell you all about. Marco, thank you so much for joining us. And this is our second try. We had a little failure. So thank you for your patience. No problem. And my pleasure to be here. Yes. Um, so crypto, right? Um, the majority of the people on this show, they're, they're liberty lovers like myself, um, but I'm not so sure they're as into the crypto as I am. I've been in it since maybe 2013. I've had a couple other experts in the past on, but I know it scares a lot of people. I know it scares my family. I know it scares my friends. And I think people, especially liberty-minded individuals, would be willing to lean into it a lot more if they had a better understanding of it. So be, before we get into what you do, kind of give us an, an overview of what crypto is. Okay, sure. Well, and, and let me preface that by, by saying that uh, it might be intimidating, but it's really not that difficult. Once you use it for the first time, uh, it's much easier to grasp the con concepts and to be uh, become familiar with it. So don't let yourself be intimidated. You know, you can play around with even just like $5 and, and get the hang of it. Uh, I'm sure the first time you set up a computer or something, it was also intimidating, but there's, there's really no reason to be intimidated. So what is crypto? Well, uh, in the bottom line is it's digital scarcity. Now, what does that mean? Um, why did we not have uh, digital money like we have now with Bitcoin, for example, in the past? Um, if we take, for example, an MP3 file, right? Uh, I can send it to you, but then I still retain my copy. So obviously that doesn't work for money. So what Satoshi Nakamoto invented is a system so I can send you a coin and then I no longer have it. And, and that was not uh, possible previously. Now, what does that does, uh, mean? Now, we have a system now uh, that is peer to peer. So there are no middlemen. So in other words, I can send money directly from me to you without having to go to a bank or, or through uh, some other intermediary. So that means it's a trustless system without uh, uh, trusted th third parties in the middle. And it also makes it censorship resistant, meaning nobody yes. can limit myself from doing business with you. You know, if, if, if I want to send you a, a, a coin, I can do so. Nobody can mess with that. So uh, that's basically the fundamental breakthrough of blockchain technology technology. And of course, money is a very important use case of that and the, the whole financial space in general, but it's just one use case. And there's really, if you look if you look at everything in general that is digital, uh, every situation where it makes sense to have trust minimized, to remove middlemen, to become censorship resistant, it's a big benefit. So the question is not like, which area does blockchain affect? The question should rather be, which area does it not affect? If we look at supply chains or if we look at uh, media, you know, the whole social media space, especially nowadays, such a huge problem with the censorship and all, and all of that. Mm -hmm. So this goes completely away once we move to a decentralized system uh, in, in this area of our lives, too. And many other use cases beyond that. Yes. Yeah. Um, you talk about censorship. That's That's been a, a problem here with this show. That's been a, a problem with a lot of people who I know who watch the show, you know, saying certain things online, they get taken down because the powers that be just determined that this is not a safe thing to say, or it's not true or whatever. Like more than ever in the last year, um, I think people are aware of the fact that we're all being controlled to a certain degree and we don't have total freedom. Um, we know the bank's you know, what was it, 1914 created the Federal Reserve so that they could control monetary policy. And they, they whether purposefully or accidentally, they definitely caused boom and bust cycles that really set them up to extract the wealth out of, out of the system. Cryptocurrency takes that power away from them. Like it takes 
the power away, right? Like they they can no longer control monetary policy if it's via crypto. That's right. I mean the 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 hidden inflation or. or rather not hidden uh, so much, but uh, it, it's a hidden tax rather uh, that uh, really 99% of the people are not even aware of what that what is happening and what is it uh, it's doing to their purchasing power and, and to their uh, capability to preserve their wealth. So this is a huge issue. Uh, and of course, money printing has gone completely crazy over the last couple of years, not just in the US, but all major central banks are printing money like crazy. And mm-hmm. uh, we will see the, the, the majority of these effects uh, still in the future, in the near future, yet to come. But with cryptos, that's another huge benefit that you have that uh, because it's a distributed system and the rules are hard-coded into the system, nobody can inflate it away. So if you if you buy into Bitcoin, for example, now you know exactly how many Bitcoins there will be a year from now or 10 years from now or, or 100 years from now. So you are protected. It, it has been over the past decade a deflationary asset uh, as a crypto um, currency uh, or rather as fiat currencies lose in value through printing more and more of them. Um, uh, the cryptos gain in value, so so your purchasing power goes up if you're invested in crypto. So that's yeah. obviously a huge benefit. Yeah, it's it's deflationary as opposed to inflationary. I think that that people in general just people are scared of change and things that are new that they don't completely understand scare them. But I would I would venture I would put out there that most people are comfortable with with money because they've had it their whole life. But I, I would bet if you ask most people to explain what is money, they can't actually give you a good definition. They don't actually understand what their money is. They're just comfortable with it because they're used to it. Um, how can we get like the people they're trusting with their money is are the bankers and these bankers are are criminals how can we get people to understand that they're trusting evil people and that you don't have to trust because there's a system out there that does not require trust of anyone yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to what we just talked about. You know, uh, if you look at the prices, like go back to the 70s, for example, how much was a Big Mac or, or a milkshake or something, right? Uh, it, literally anything you look at, the the, the, the prices are, are ridiculous if you, if you compare, even just like 10, 20 years ago and you compare today, like anywhere you look at. So this constant erosion of your purchasing power is a, is a big problem. And in a decentralized system with cryptos, you don't have that. So from a bird's eye view perspective, what we're seeing right now is the separation of money and state. You know, in the in the Renaissance, we had the separation of state and the church. So that mm-hmm. went separately. And now yes. we're in the very early stages of the process where we now have private money and slowly the governments will lose the power to print money. Because if mm. you think it through logically, what's happening now is millions of people are using cryptos and fiat currencies have a history of failure. There is no fiat currency that has survived long term, right? They, their right. maximum last around... Uh, Actually, the average is somewhere around 30 years, I believe. Wow, really? And and the reserve currency status also lasts about just 100 years. So we're due to a switch there too. But so what what has happened in the past is a fiat currency died. There was a new one, a new one, and always the next one took over. But now we have millions of people using cryptos. And so we have a solid base of people that know the power of crypto and and the benefits uh, that it brings, the sovereignty it brings back to the individual. So now when this batch of fiat currencies goes down the drain, it will be very, very difficult to to start up a new fiat currency because we already have the alternative. So this is now the early stages of separation of state and money. And of yes. course, it's a process that takes decades to play out. But uh, the, the earlier you get involved, the better for you. Yeah. Um, okay. So you said something there that that I, I, it's the first time I've heard it 
actually put into those words and it's it's a little bit this is what scares me about it you said separation of state and money much like the separation of church and state well the state didn't just relinquish its control over the church for a long time they used the church as a way to control people much like they now use money to control people so that's what scares me about crypto is i don't think the state a powerful government like the U.S. government with all their military is going to easily give up this fight and give up control of the money. Now, we've seen some countries like El Salvador, who's completely embraced this. And it makes sense for them because they're a small, little, powerless country, and this gives them a little bit of power. But what can we expect from governments like the United States and some governments in Europe um, in the way of resisting the, the coming surge of cryptocurrency? Yeah, the, the beauty of these systems is that they are permissionless. So I don't need permission from you, government. I can just do it, right? But on the other hand, so it makes it inevitable. But on the other hand, uh, of course, governments are going to fight that once it becomes a serious threat and it's increasingly becoming a serious threat. So we should not only expect resistance from governments, but we should expect the, the fiercest resistance possible, uh, dirty tricks, playing dirty, it, like everything, right? It, it, it mm -hmm. will be is essentially a war. But uh, the, the end result is, is, is already, you can already see it in the future what's going to happen. So if, if I just draw a parallel with the sharing economy, you know, when Uber, yes. Airbnb, and all of that started out, uh, a lot of uh, cities fought that, right? So now these days, if you travel, uh, it's kind of normal, right? You, you mm -hmm. arrive at the airport, you call an Uber, you maybe go to an Airbnb instead of a hotel. And if you get to a city that doesn't have that, the city is just less attractive. Yes. And so with cryptocurrencies, we're seeing the same thing now. The places that are free market oriented, you know, the usual suspects like Switzerland, Hong Kong, Dubai, Singapore, and so on, they're all embracing crypto technology because the capital will flow there the also the human resources will flow there and 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 it, they will they will flourish you know that this new technology is taking over and there's nothing that can be done about it so other countries like india for example that are trying to fight it right now well they will just fall even further behind that like they already are so uh in, in, in you mentioned the small countries like El Salvador, they see the writing on the wall, they're embracing it. And I think this will uh, start a wave of many smaller countries adopting it, especially once you see countries like El Salvador really benefiting when they start taking part of their national treasury and putting it into Bitcoin. And then they see the value of that. Uh, I even read about uh, doing their, they're planning to do a national airdrop. Everybody gets like $30 equivalent in Bitcoin. Yeah, awesome. So so this will drive massive adoption, right? And and the more countries that do that, it's, it's uh, the snowball starts uh, rolling. And uh, yeah, it's, it, there will be places that are forward-looking and that will em embrace it. And then there are other uh, um, places that are trying to fight it. But the, the end result is inevitable. You know, slowly but surely, uh, cryptos become more and more important, more and more ingrained, uh, and, and will, will slowly take over. Yeah. Um, well, you said, you said it's inevitable and there's nothing they can, they can do about that. I just want to push back on that a little, just so maybe you can help sure. call me down to some of my listeners. Like China is resisting. They've, they've made it illegal. So when you say they can't do anything, can't they just say, this is not, this will not be tolerated. We're going to lock you up in a prison if you use this. Well, that's a, a bit of a misunderstanding. I mean, okay. let, let me make two points in, in regards to that. One is you cannot directly regulate it because it is a distributed decentralized system. You can only regulate it at the periphery, right? You can fight the exchanges. You, you, can, you can tax it when it hits back in, in, in your bank account, when you transfer it back, things like that, right? But the system itself directly, it, it exists and it's going to grow. There's nothing you can do about it. Then the, the China thing, it, it's actually not, not uh, correct, you know? 
they in 2017 they tried to outlaw cryptos but then they very quickly realized oh we, we, we're really making a fool of ourselves so we really can't do that and then they actually did a 180 degree turn and made blockchain technology actually one of their core pillars uh, the, uh, of their uh, focus technologically whether they always have these five-year plans mm. and and um, blockchain technology is, is a core foundation where China wants to play a leadership role now just the past month we had like a really uh, a seismic event of, of, of huge proportions like one of the biggest shocks to the the, the Bitcoin system uh, in its history because on the mining side where it's powered a lot uh, by by the uh, hydroelectric dams in China and also coal power so they wanted to clean all of this up mainly in just one province but where most of the mining is uh, is concentrated so China had about 30% maybe 35 40% maximum of the global mining capacity of the of the bitcoin network and and mining is just like data centers you know it's a, a lot of computers basically mm -hmm. yes. uh, that use a lot of energy so from one moment to the other they basically shut this down well, the Bitcoin system is designed to handle that because then the whole system in, in, in a rolling two-week interval will, will just uh, scale down to that and adjust from that. So now 90% of Bitcoin mining capacity, so basically a third of the entire Bitcoin network, has more or less been shut down overnight. And what has happened? A neighboring country like Kazakhstan is embracing it and said, everybody come here, you know, and it's just moving elsewhere. So it was actually a big uh, uh strategic blunder of china to do that yeah. because as crypto becomes more important they will uh, they will uh, get to regret that decision but the system itself i mean of course there there was some turmoil some short term turmoil with, with a, a price drop and everything but that's all just short term noise the the system in general handled it beautifully and it just like another block gets produced and another block gets produced and and okay. you know, the, the story goes on so so that recent news I misunderstood. So the, the misunderstanding is not that they were making it illegal. It's that they shut down some of the mining, uh, which slows down the system, which caused the price to drop somewhat. But other other people are picking up the slack and and the mining is picking back up. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, okay. the, 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 that's the a lot less rate, as it's called. The mining capacity mm -hmm. in general is still down because they have to move all this equipment and everything. But this is just moved elsewhere. And it's that's actually good online. news. That's actually good news then yeah, to, to not have it so centralized all right in China. So that seems like good news. Right. Yeah, it, it, okay. It, it's it, it is good news, and and then the other point I wanted to make about it is actually funny because uh, according to Chinese laws, uh, any legal tender from from a from another country is legal in China, legal to be traded and to be used. And uh, now Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador, so it's it's technically okay. a, a foreign currency of another country. Yeah, not technically it is. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, all right. So let's get into you a little bit. So. I, my my Bitcoin journey personally was I used to li I used a decade ago I used to love the the Joe Rogan podcast and he had on a guy uh, Andres Antonopoulos who was raving about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and I've since had him on my show and and just everything about it sounded fascinating so I went out I created an account and I bought some Bitcoin and I I held on to it I forgot about it for a long time held on to it next thing you know it was worth fifty times what I paid for it for you <laughs> how did you get involved with cryptocurrency like what was your journey. Well, I was uh, involved in like electronic cash systems even before crypto. So I, I was kind of present in that space, let's say. So when the Bitcoin white paper came out, I, I, I read it immediately and I'm like, oh, wow, this is really mind blowing. This is a, a brilliant idea. But at that stage, it was just an idea, right? So I mm -hmm. just 
filed it and said, okay, let's look at it uh, again in, in, in six months or so to, to see what happens of it. Uh, because there were previous attempts at these kinds of systems that all failed, right? Yes. So then uh, uh, fast forward a year later, I'm like, oh, there was this thing, Bitcoin. Uh, what, what happened to it? So I look it up again and it's at almost a dollar. So I'm like, oh, it went from mm. nothing to one dollar. <laughs> I missed everything, right? Oh, jeez. <laughs> So uh, eventually, I got involved in like late 2010, early 2011, something like that. And well, and that so that's hardly it. missing the boat. That's pretty early adoption. Well, when you, when you see it going from basically one cent to a dollar, then you missed a hundred x already. And it sure. Uh, so, but yeah, of course, in 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 hindsight, it, it was still very very early, and and I got involved at around two dollars. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 been kind to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember the, reading at some point the first ever Bitcoin transaction was something like 27 Bitcoin to uh, have a pizza delivered, which is insane because <laughs> now 27 Bitcoin, what is that, like almost a million dollars? So yeah. it's, it's pretty, I mean, pretty you know, wild. It's, it, there are many examples like that. Like mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a friend who uh, who very early on uh, with early big gains bought a, a nice fishing boat. And then he calculated it was the equivalent when he took his original investment was like, I think $18 or something like that's a very expensive boat. If you look at it from, uh, from, sure. from the perspective of now, but you also always have to keep in mind in these early days, uh, the cryptography, the whole system, the code, the technology itself was, was not very proven. So you would always wake up and think, okay, is the network still alive? Does it still work? Mm -hmm. And it, it, at the same time, it was also that small still that a big wealth funded actor like a nation state could come come in and mess with it right so yes. this is no longer a concern uh, today both of these things but in the early days you know if you you're up like a ten thousand percent yeah maybe you take some profits because who knows what's happening in the future absolutely i mean there's no there's no such thing as bad profits to to take so i yeah, mean you can't i can't go broke taking profits <laughs> right right um yeah i mean my personal investment strategy is buy high sell low so if you if you can time to take some profits you're doing okay now you used to be invite uh you used to be involved in in mining uh, mining is well i'll let you tell what mining is because i'm sure you understand it better my my father and my brother-in-law are now invested in a mining operation is bitcoin mining or other crypto mining is it still like viable for the average guy is it a good idea I mean, there, there are many different coins you can mine, and, and I'm sure there are certain niches that, uh, if you're on top of things, are, are interesting. But in general, mining is a relatively low-margin business, and these days it's also happening on an industrial scale. So it's not really really something that's very attractive anymore for an individual. It, mining went through several stages. You know, in the beginning, it was just the main CPU unit of your computer and any, any kind of computer did, right? That lasted a very short time. Uh, then it switched to GPU mining, which was like specialized graphics cards. That's what I, when I got involved, like I think it was 2013. Um, so, uh, but, but even back then, you know, you have four or five of these cards and it's very noisy. It's producing a ton of heat. Um, I was living in Buenos Aires at the time. I had the windows in my apartment all open in the middle of winter because it's basically like a wow. four kilowatt heating system that you have in okay the and isn't so that's like the main criticism of bitcoin these days at least in the in the mainstream is is the amount of energy it consumes it sounds like you're kind of confirming that is there a workaround to that is, is it fixable well, uh, two points. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, you know, because the, the energy use of the uh, Bitcoin network in total is, is minuscule for the value it delivers. And especially if you compare it to a fiat currency that's backed by an army with like uh, um, uh, aircraft carriers and nuclear Good weapons point. and stuff, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to make Good this point. comparison. 
But then on the other hand, Bitcoin is also now, it's the Model T of blockchains, right? It's more than a decade old. It's uh, in many ways already outdated technology. And there are many new next generation high-speed blockchains that use a system called proof of stake that works merely by economic incentives. There is no mining at all. So that, mm. that argument uh, is, is already kind of uh, outdated Pro in that sense. Proof of stake, no mining. Okay, so so in that way, you call Bitcoin the, the Model T. Um, is is Bitcoin on the way out? Is it is it going to lose its value in, in lieu of uh, the next big thing? Well, uh, what might seemingly be weaknesses that uh, Bitcoin is very ossified and slow to change and that everything happens really slowly from a store of value perspective, that's exactly what you want to see. So that that's a benefit in that sense. So what that means is Bitcoin is very attractive as a store of value. You can think about it uh, like digital gold. It will never be something that you pay a coffee with, right? Because it takes like half an hour to, uh, to an hour to, to confirm a transaction and okay. uh, the fees are really high. So it's not practical for, for these everyday transactions, but okay. to store value and to move large amounts of money back and forth, it's perfect. And it uh, it has a great, great use case there. And this will grow for many years to come. Uh, on, on the very long time scale, who knows, it might probably be replaced with something else but i'd say for at least the next 10 years we'll we'll see it growing and and it's it's still an excellent investment these days okay. especially given the macro environment that we're in right now yeah so you don't really see bitcoin becoming like the next world currency like it has in el salvador it's more of like like you said like gold is a store of value for money it can be a store of value for whatever crypto is more transactional well, uh, the, the best com comparison is actually gold because gold is also not used uh, in day-to-day -day business as money, but yeah. just as a store of value and to protect yourself from inflation. And Bitcoin does that a whole lot better. A, if you look at the performance, it, it's done much better because, of course, it came from a very, very small level. Uh, but it's still relatively small compared to gold. Like gold is about a $10 trillion asset class. Uh, crypto is about $1 trillion. So uh, Bitcoin at the same time does it much better because you don't need like a heavy-duty storage facility and you, you can easily send it from A to B without having any uh, headaches in terms of transport and security. So it does that much better. Uh, and so it, it, it can be justified to see it as uh, the 10 trillion market cap yeah. that, that gold has and even beyond that. And I'm sure gold itself will also not stay at, uh, at trend, uh, 10 trillion no. out into the future. So um, it, it has a lot of room left to grow for sure. Yeah. And, and so whereas gold, I, I have gold also because I haven't trusted the dollar for 15 years, but I have gold also. You got to bury it in the backyard or get a safety deposit box or something. Bitcoin, all you need is is your memorize your keys. So it's yeah. definitely more. But, but you know, when it, when it comes to money for, for uh, everyday purchases, uh, the, 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 the key thing are stable coins. Yes. And right now we have a lot of US dollar based stable coins or also other currencies. So you can still uh, or you can already act. Uh, just using dollars and you can get really high yield on these dollars too, like 10, 15% easily, but you can move this around without any restrictions, without any of this KYC AML bullshit where you need to bring all kinds of documents to your bank and then they yes. say, oh no, you can't wire the money there. And then, oh yeah, it takes five oh, no days. Doubt. All of this goes away. But the next evolution of cryptos will be completely crypto native stable coins that have a a stable value, but they are not tied to any fiat currency. And then this inversion happens, and then we move to a completely crypto-native system, and, and this will be the future of money. Is that what um, the coins like uh, DAI, uh, or is it DAI or DAO, or uh, also DAI, Tether? DAI, yeah. DAI and Tether, is that what they are, stable coins? 
they are stable coins, but they are still partially or entirely backed by dollars. So this kind of oh. a crutch to, to get into this new it's world. It's a bridge. Okay. But there, there's a lot of innovation happening in that space. And there are new stable coins already that are completely crypto native. It's still very early days for that. But this is growing rapidly and developing rapidly. So looking out a couple of years in the future, you will have a crypto native stable coin that has no longer any tie to the legacy financial system, to the fiat currencies. And as the space grows and progresses, we go more and more to a completely crypto native system. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That's exciting. I mean, I can see why they something like Tether or DAI right now is tied to the dollar because it's a little scarier to not be tied to the dollar at this point in time. But that's very exciting. A couple of things I want to ask you about separate. Um, two things I've been hearing a lot about. Uh, the first one is uh, DeFi coins. Now, I've I've already invested in some of these just because I've been hearing so much about it. But to be perfectly honest, I don't I don't fully have my brain wrapped around what they are. So I would like some help with that. Um, and are are you um, into these? And do you have any that you're high on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, both in my investment newsletter as well as, as in our crypto hedge fund, we have a huge focus on DeFi because that's where you see, and, and DeFi, by the way, stands for decentralized finance. So that's where we're seeing right now the strongest product market fit. In other words, where we see the strongest growth in, in, in this area. So what, what is DeFi and what does it mean? If you look at the legacy financial system, you have all these building blocks, right? You have loans, you have insurance, you have like options and futures, all kinds of derivatives, you have stocks, like uh, you have the normal checking accounts, right? So mm -hmm. all these different building blocks, they are now rebuilt in the blockchain ecosystem as money Legos, so to speak, that you can mix and match also, uh, that replicate these elements of the legacy financial system, but they're replicated in a completely decentralized, permissionless peer-to-peer -peer way, just like Nice. we have with Bitcoin. So okay. that means in the blockchain ecosystem, in, in the space we call DeFi, I can take out a loan, I can take out insurance, I can buy a futures contract or an options contract. Okay, so well, basically, slow we're down. rebuilding how, the entire financial system how, in back, a decentralized way. Back back up. You could take out a loan on a, on a DeFi okay. coin. What, what does that mean? Who like, are you for example, from? I, I can use one of these DeFi protocols and I can supply collateral, let's say Bitcoin, and then I can, against this collateral, draw a loan, let's say, in a US dollar stablecoin. So maybe I deposit $100,000 worth of Bitcoin and I say, okay, I want a $20,000 loan against this to do something else with it. So that, that would be one example. Okay. So you're, you're taking the loan from your own reserve of Bitcoin. You're not taking a loan from somebody else. Well, I mean, right now we're mostly having collateralized loans. So, you, mm -hmm. and they're usually over collateralized because we're, the crypto is still a small asset class. So, it's relatively volatile. But increasingly, we're seeing the first sprouts of developments also of uncollateralized loans. Like, just like today, you would go to a bank and, and apply for a loan. And based on your credit score, they give you a loan or not. We're already in this stage where protocols are being built that, that, that tie your activity and your reputation in the decentralized world to your address. And then based on that, give you a loan score and stuff like that. It's, it's still early days for the uncollateralized loans, but all okay. of this is happening and coming. Okay. So in theory, down the road, if I have a lot of Bitcoin, right? I bought in early, I held on to it, I have a high value and somebody else needs a crypto loan because they want to start some business. I could, using DeFi, I could loan them the money and be part owner in that project or get have a traditional loan where they're paying me back with interest. 
that would certainly be possible, but in general, it would be automated through a protocol. So you would simply supply collateral and somebody else would, would uh, draw a loan. And then the protocol itself uh, monitors uh, if, uh, it, uh, if the, um, uh, the, the borrower is uh, under collateralized and, 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 and would liquidate automatically. So it, oh. you don't have usually a direct counterparty. You know, it's, so like, I, don't it, it's I don't need to send my thugs out there to, to beat them up to get the money. It would be... No, it, the protocol does it for you. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, a better example would be, let's say you have a lot of Bitcoin and you want to mm -hmm. uh, buy something expensive, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin because you think it's going much higher. So then you could take a US dollar-based loan out against your, your crypto and you can work with this money. And meanwhile, the value of the crypto go keeps going up and you don't have to liquidate the Bitcoin. So that would be a... Ooh, uh, let me ask you this. That sounds very intriguing. Is that a way to possibly get out of capital gains taxes on your Bitcoin? Because when you sell your Bitcoin, you pay capital gains. But could I take a loan in US dollars on my Bitcoin and then I don't have to pay tax on the Bitcoin? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a very common strategy of, of wealthy people. You know, if you're very wealthy, then usually you, you, you use a lot of loans exactly for that purpose because you don't want to trigger any capital gains events. So you, you just use your assets as collateral and, and then you, you draw okay. against them. You, you might have just saved my life here. I've been, I've been <laughs> seeking a way because at some point I'm figuring I want to cash in on some of this, but I don't want to pay. I, I hate the government. I don't want to pay those taxes. So that seems like that's not quite here yet, but that's something that could, that's kind of a workaround. And that's similar to what Jeff Bezos at Amazon does. He takes, he takes loans on his Amazon stock. So he does exactly. not have to, oh, this is terrific news. All right. All right. Great. Moving on. Um, NFTs. Now this one blows my mind. I don't get it. Like I, I can latch onto most of these concepts and they excite me. NFTs to me, um, it feels a lot like a, a market that has peaked and is a bubble and is about to pop. Like people are throwing millions of dollars around to own a piece of digital content for something that they cannot sell the rights to just get to say they own it. Am well, I wrong? It's, it's about actually this? quite the opposite uh, because an NFT is so NFT stands for non fungible token. So uh, as compared to Bitcoin, for example, is a fungible token. Every Bitcoin is the same. So an NFT is nothing else than a unique digital asset. So an NFT can be many things. It could be credentials to access uh, content or to access an event or, or some kind of media, whatever. It could be uh, uh, representing like a, a, um, a data, you know, it, it could be in a data marketplace. It, it could represent a data set. It could be a decentralized uh, domain. It, you know, also the entire structure of the internet is changing. We're moving to a completely decentralized infrastructure. So there's also decentralized domain names. So that an, an NFT could be a domain name. But where we see the, the most adoption is in, uh, in digital art and, and also in gaming. You know, you're in gaming, you have weapons, swords, and, and, and all these outfits and stuff that, that are unique digital items. And they are increasingly more and more being represented as, as NFTs. So there are many things. But what most people uh, uh, are focused on or what they, what they have heard about what an NFT is, is because they have heard about the, the big art sales where people pay millions for an NFT that represents yeah. a graphic on, uh, on the internet. Right. Yes. Well, okay. So you, you, you buy, let's say, let's say, let's relate it to digital music, right? So mm -hmm. let's say my favorite band Pearl Jam puts out a new album and I buy the NFT. Maybe they sell a thousand cop, a thousand NFTs of this new album. I buy one of them. 
-hmm. what can I what can I do with that? How does well, that have it, value? It depends on and it it depends on what they do. I mean, typically it would not just be the music album, but typically it would come with some extra perks. So maybe uh, included with that is a, a, a ticket to a special concert or one extra bonus track or like a special piece of album artwork that goes with it. Uh, so, sure, so, so something extra. A super fan might want that, but they can't. It's not like I'm buying the right to license the music, right? I just I just get to tell my friends I have the NFT of the new Pearl Jam album and I might get yes. tickets. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people are really hung up uh, by this. And uh, I mean, yeah, me, me, I, I'm one of them. I, I, you know, I, I understand it. Like if we take artwork, for example, I'd rather have a physical painting than a digital copy. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the physical painting, what is it? It's, it's paint on a canvas. And even if you have a Michelangelo, like a 3d printer can replicate this exactly one-to-one. -one. So what makes the original different from the copy, right? It's right. just the provenance, the history, the bragging rights. Okay. And so as more and more stuff becomes digital, this is where the the NFT space is growing. So uh, has there been a bubble and the stuff maybe temporarily overvalued? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it's you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't dismiss it completely just because there is a lot of money changing hands for digital stuff that that could be copied. But a lot of it is like uh, the bragging rights and 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 the provenance of it. And uh, and like I said, NFTs is not just the art. It it, it also you know in in the whole supply chain space, it it could represent merchandise. It it can be used for if you buy like a high-end whatever Birkin handbag, you know, it, it, you, you, you can have a, a authenticity certificate and it, you can sell that on with the handbag. So it, it enables the tracking and, and okay. anti-counterfeit anti uh, properties. So there's many ways this goes and, and, and this grows. That but I it, can it, understand. I, yeah. it, it's a way around counterfeiting. I, I get and that. then the other thing that that is very important to understand when it comes to art in general and, uh, and primarily like the, the the digital art and music is the way this works is also that uh, you you as an artist you can integrate a royalty for every resale so if you're like a small artist and you have your base of uh, of super fans that buy your stuff uh, let's say you have an album that is one of 100 that comes with some special stuff and now the price went up five times and you want to sell it then you can sell it on a marketplace to somebody else but now with the royalty integrated the artist gets paid again on that resale too like they can get another five percent or okay. something like that and it's all completely automated on the blockchain so it's a much more fair way for an artist to uh, to uh, realize value over the yeah. lifetime of, of his creations and and again there are no middlemen so there's yeah. no longer like a, a studio or a, or, or a company in, in the middle that's taking the majority of the profits so it's well, yeah definitely it's a very good thing i definitely like it for artists they've been getting screwed over by business people for a very long time because artists typically aren't business people so they get outsmarted in that department and this seems to give them some power so i like that yeah um, let's get back to, to crypto and, and, and Bitcoin. So going back to the beginning, I remember uh, in the beginning, uh, Magic the Gathering card is where most people had their crypto. And I, and I had a little bit there. And um, that got hacked and billions of dollars were stolen. Um, now I have the majority of my crypto on an external hard drive. Um, but I still have some on exchanges like Kraken and, and Coinbase and, and a couple others even. I have it kind of spread out. Are these exchanges safe or are they prone at some point as this gets more and more valuable to get hacked and for people to just lose their asses? 
Well, exchanges get hacked all the time, and it even happens to the really big one, to, to the best in breed, let's say. They, they all get hacked eventually. But uh, before, you know, this was much more security risk in the sense that then the exchange might go under. And, and that happened many times, like most famously Mt. Cox, where a lot of people early on lost uh, all of their crypto. Yes. But these days they have huge insurance funds. And, and, and so it's safer if like a big a reputable exchange gets hacked. Most likely you're, you're not risking your money and, and, and they can handle just fine. But... If you keep your crypto in an exchange, it's it's not no different from keeping your money in a bank account. You know, the, with cryptos, you're self-sovereign with your money. But that mm -hmm. comes also with the responsibility that you're responsible for it. So yes. only if you control your keys, and let's mention really briefly, like your, your crypto address, the public address is kind of like your bank account number. And then a private key is like your password with which you access your funds. And you, you are in control of these two things and you have to safeguard them and control them. And only if you do that, you're self-sovereign with your money. So if you keep your coins in an exchange, then it's nothing else than a different version of the banking system. Okay. So, but if, okay. So basically, no, it's not super safe, but if you want to be actively trading, if you're trying, if you're trying to trade and make some money, you have to have them in exchange, right? Not so what necessarily, I mean, it, 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 it depends. There, there are centralized exchanges where you send them your money and there are decentralized uh, protocols and exchanges where this happens in a non-custodial way where you never give up control of your funds. Such as, such as what? Well, if, if you just want to make an exchange, for example, you, the, there are popular exchanges like Coinbase or Binance or Qcoin where you send your funds and then you exchange and then you send them back. But there are decentralized exchanges like Uniswap or SushiSwap where you basically make a transaction and it's an atomic transaction. So while you send your funds, you directly get back, get back the, the, the token that you're exchanging for. So okay. you, you, you're never risking your funds with a third party. Okay, so so Uniswap, uh, Sushi Swap, I'm familiar with both of those. They are not traditional exchanges; they are decentralized. So in those, you have your funds are kept in a private wallet. Is that correct? Well, they, they basically never leave your wallet. You they know, never leave you, your wallet. You put in a transaction, and with this transaction, you you automatically get the the, the exchange tokens back, whatever the other Got token it. is that you so, that you're. So to if do. I have if I have my money, if I have my crypto in Coinbase. Those coins are not in my wallet. They're in the exchange and there's data on what I actually own. But if I have it in something like SushiSwap or Uniswap, those um, coins are in my private wallet. They're not, the exchange does not have them. Is that the difference? Yes. I mean, in a, in a simplified way, yes. I mean, you, if you supply liquidity, uh, then they are in the exchange, but still under your control. So, so it, it's it's getting a bit technical to explain this in detail. But in in principle, the funds never leave your wallet. So if mm -hmm. if you just look from a user perspective, it's in one transaction happen both things at the same time. You send your tokens and you get the other token back. So they are never an, in control of a third party. You're always in control. It's called non-custodial. Got it. Okay. I'm. I need to move some funds. That's that's good to know. Um, that's that's interesting. I didn't I didn't really realize that. And this is a space that I mean, the whole DeFi space in general is the fastest growing space in crypto. And with the decentralized exchanges, uh, it uh, it has grown a lot, and then it has seen a little bit of a damper because the fees got really high. But as things spread out into more and more different blockchains where the fees are lower, and as things get optimized, uh, it's it's increasingly more competitive with centralized exchanges, and uh, more and more business is moving towards decentralized exchanges. So. I think the majority of, of all trading within 
say five years will be on decentralized exchanges. Okay. You basically only need a centralized exchange if you want to change fiat currency to crypto. For example, if you have dollars and you want to buy Ethereum or you want to buy Bitcoin, then you have to do that through a centralized exchange, obviously. Yes. But once you have a crypto, there's no need to do anything with a centralized exchange anymore. Uh, I mean, increasingly less so in, in, in the future, almost none. Okay. Um, okay. Um, what about, tell me what, first of all, I, I, I want you to talk about your newsletter and the services you offer, but first, can you tell me, let's talk about this Bitcoin, as I've noticed, I've been in it since like maybe 2013. I've seen that it runs in cycles, boom, bust, boom, bust. And those cycles seem to take somewhere between two and four years. So is it safe to project out and say that we're not going to see the next peak in Bitcoin for about two, three years? Is that a safe assumption? It is correct that a cycle is approximately four years, but we're already uh, quite advanced in this cycle. So uh, most likely the next top will be in the first half of 2022. So give or take a year from now. Okay, that's that's good news. And ultimately, when the, when the dust settles on Bitcoin, now you mentioned uh, gold right now has 10 times the value of Bitcoin. That suggests to me that maybe when when we're all done with this, Bitcoin should be worth about 10 times what it's worth now. Is that a realistic expectation? Well, not necessarily in this cycle, because we are in a long-term growth trajectory, right? So if, if you look at the internet, the internet is, what, 50, 60 years old already. Mm -hmm. uh, and only really in the last 20 years, it really took off. And so things are happening a little bit faster nowadays, but still, it's still the early, uh, early days for the, the crypto space. So we easily have one or two more decades of growth ahead of us. But like you said, uh, everything is cyclical, uh, especially the financial markets. So we're in, a, in about a year, we'll have another top. And then if you look at the volatility, you know, right now we had a big correction. Uh, and so now we're going sideways a little bit. So pretty soon the next leg up will start and then probably towards uh, 100,000. But then this volatility that we just had to the downside, we also have it to the upside upside so i think this mania euphoria phase that you have at the uh, late stages at the end stage of a bull market will only really kick in once we get to around a hundred thousand or so and then where the ultimate top for this cycle is if it's two hundred thousand three hundred thousand or even half a million uh, it's impossible to say at this stage and and, and it's also really difficult to like to, to time there the the exit then uh, but then comes a, a, a correction again where we might settle back down to, I don't know, 80,000. And then the, the whole four-year cycle starts anew. So it, it goes in waves uh, ever higher. Okay. But yeah, but the bottom line is Bitcoin is digital gold. So just endure it, maybe. Just hold on to your Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know... The, if you look at the history of cryptos, uh, in the past, no matter when you bought, even if it was uh, right at the top of, of the last cyclical peak, if you, if you look at it, for, uh, if you look backwards, given enough time, it's always turned out extremely well for you. So so even should you buy really high now and you wait another three or four years, then it, it will look good again. Of course, you don't want to time it like that. But because we're on this long-term secular bull trend, uh, it's it, we're going much higher. And like you said, you know, I, I think uh, Bitcoin will be valued uh, higher than gold uh, in, in the near future. You know, it might not happen this cycle, but certainly in the cycle afterwards, we'll, we'll eclipse gold for sure. So exciting. All right. So we're, we're running short on time. I, I want to give you a chance to talk about what you offer. I want to tell the listeners, he, he's going to tell you what he offers. And uh, I recommend it. I've looked into it. 
it looks great. And, and we're talking to a man here who is very personally successful. And from what I understand, so he offers a newsletter and he offers a course. It's not the typical thing where you pay a fee for him to manage your money. He, he, he takes his money when you make your money. So if you go to dadpresents.com slash newsletter, you find out about his newsletter, dadpresents.com slash crypto course, find out about that. Please tell us about both of them. Yeah, so for the people that are brand new to the whole crypto world that really want to get all the basics, all the fundamentals, you know, how does it work with the wallets? How does the blockchain itself actually work? You know, how does it work with the exchanges? All these beginner things. I have a video course uh, for this. It's called Crypto Quantum Leap. And uh, that is at uh, that presents forward slash crypto course, like we mentioned. So if you're brand new, this is uh, really good for you. I, of course, highly recommend it. The sooner you get into crypto, the better, because eventually you'll have to deal with it anyways. And then for those people that really want to make the big gains, that want to speculate in all these different blockchains and protocols, uh, for those, I have a crypto investment newsletter that's called Project Serenity. And this is at that presents forward slash newsletter if you want to check it out. And then lastly, I also run one of the fastest growing uh, crypto hedge funds in the world. And so if you have the necessary capital and you say, okay, uh, uh, I have money, but I don't want to deal with all of this. I maybe don't have the time or the, or the interest, but I want to be exposed to that asset class, then we can take over uh, this money from you and manage this in a professional way. And you basically get the white glove service. And uh, for, for that, you can uh, email us at uh, investment at secondrenaissance.com uh, or look me up on, on social media and get in touch with me directly. Investment um, at secondrenaissance.com. And yeah, what if somebody wants to do that, like say me, what's the minimum investment amount? To get going the, with you. The minimum investment for the fund is $200,000. Okay. 200000 US dollars. Yes. Okay. And what, what do you charge for that? Well, typically hedge funds, they charge a 2% management fee on the assets every year and then a 20% performance fee. Uh, we're much more uh, uh, efficient and we run a really lean ship. That's uh, why we only charge 1% on the assets that covers our expenses. And then we also don't charge a 20% success fee every year because we're only dealing with like two or three years in total of the lifetime of the fund anyways. And we want our clients' capital to grow and, and uh, grow as much as possible, basically. So only really at the very end, when we liquidate, when we take profits, that's when we uh, take our 20% fee. And so in, in other words, we only get paid if we perform. If we don't perform, then we don't get paid anything. But uh, yeah, we, we, this is my third or fourth cycle now. So all of this is very predictable. And, and the longer you do it, the better you get it. It's uh, like I said, we, we right now we had a huge correction. So it's excellent timing if you want to yeah. get involved right now. And, and now's the time. About, about a year left until the next cyclical top. So you, you, you can multiply your capital many times over if you get involved right now. Excellent. All right. That, that's all fantastic. So Marco, thanks again. Um, I learned some things. I, I love what you told me about uh, DeFi and the ability to, to take loans on your crypto that, that's coming up. Um, very exciting stuff. I'm, I'm think I'm going to move my, my money out of these exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken and, and into a, uh, uh, a secure wallet. Um, thank you for your time. And uh, I'd love to have you back on some other time. Sounds good. My pleasure. And, and as, a, as a last word, you know, don't be intimidated. It might look intimidating, but it's really not that complicated. And, and you, you can experiment with small amounts. And as long as you have backups of your keys, even if you make a mistake, you know, nothing happens. I can only urge you to get involved right now, because like I said, sooner or later, uh, you have to deal with it because this yes. is a, a paradigm shift and all of this stuff is coming. And the earlier you get involved, the better. Uh, yep. So yeah, it's, 
it's coming take the, whether take the crypto quantum leap. <laughs> it's it's coming whether people and Peter Schiff want it to come or not. It's coming. So you exactly get on board. All right. Thank you, Mark. All right, Matt. Thanks for having me. Take care.